when you came because we are the we're a little bit closer to you because of what we've heard from this from this tonight. Lord, from the songs we're reminded, oh, we're so reminded that, that we are to praise you because you are worthy. And let there be glory and honor and praise to you. And then these songs also help us to, re, to tell us and to keep going over and over in us that it is very sweet to be able to trust you, to take you at your word, to rest upon your promises and to know, thus saith the Lord, we can count on that. And Lord, as we have sung about our walk with you, you want us to be in a walk with you, a step-by-step walk with you. And so may we, like Enoch tonight, may we learn from just that little bit of scripture, may we learn to walk the way he did. And Lord, tonight we also are so, so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful that grace, that undeserved favor that we accepted at Calvary, that we know we are being lavished upon with it all the time. Father, we are so grateful for your grace. We know what we would be without it. And so, Lord, as we sing about that grace, it's greater than all of our sin. We can stand before you right now knowing that it's because of the grace of our Savior. It's your unconditional love that put us in a a place and in a position that we would have never been able to get to on our own. So, Lord, we just pray tonight that we will delve into this chapter, that we will go into Genesis, that we will see how all Scripture works together. And we will give you the praise and the glory for the Father, for you, Father. We love praying to you, our Father in heaven. But we love praying to you, Jesus, our Savior. And we love praying to you, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, that takes words on a page and changes our hearts and lives. For the Trinity, the three in one, the three equal Godhead that has a distinct place in our salvation and in our walk. Oh, we just are so grateful to be here tonight. And we pray this all in Jesus' name the way we've been taught to pray it all in Jesus' name, the name that is above all names, the name that every knee someday is going to bow to, and every tongue will confess, oh, what a day that's going to be. In his name we pray, amen. All right, will you open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we are going to be all over the place, but... Our whole objective in this summer study is to teach us about that word faith. The word faith, because I think it's a it's a word that that we don't take seriously enough. I think it's been overused. I think faith as a definition can mean so many different things. Because I looked it up in the regular dictionary and I found that faith simply means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's what faith is. When I looked it up in Webster, he just simply said faith, and look at, look at the broadness. Faith is anything or anyone that you put your complete trust in. 
well, that can mean a bazillion things. It can mean a whole lot of different people. So when people say that I have faith, you know, what are they talking about? Who do you put your complete trust and your confidence in? And so it is a very big word that we have to kind of start narrowing down and realize, okay, what is my faith? What do I put my complete trust and confidence in? So when someone says to me, what is your faith? What, can, what, 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 do, I, what do I say? What do you say? What do you put your complete trust and confidence in? I, w- I went to Billy Graham. I, have to, I, I, I do that often. I will go to him for different definitions of words. <laughs> Somehow I, I trust him, and he just seemed to put it so beautifully. He showed me that faith is really two parts. Faith is, yes, believing, and he. this is why our faith, this is what as Christians If someone ever says to you, what is your faith? What do you mean that you have faith? Now I want you to realize that faith means who do I put my trust and I put my complete confidence in. So it is important. Okay, this word, I've got to get this straight. I've got to get this word straight because it can be way too broad and it can mean way too many things. But my faith, your faith, is putting your complete trust and confidence in Jesus and in what he has done for you. So biblical faith is putting, this is what Billy Graham says, it's believing in God and what he has done to make your salvation possible. I have complete trust and faith in the fact that God gave us his son, and he, he by faith, because I remember reading Billy Graham's book one time, and he said that he had come to grips with the fact that by faith, I choose to believe that this Bible is God's word, that every word in it is true. In other words, he says, if I don't have my faith in God's word, then my faith will go to all other things. I, my faith is based on God's word. I put an absolute complete trust and confidence that this is God's word. And God's word tells me that my salvation is only possible. I can only be made right because I am a sinner. And I believe and I put complete trust and confidence in the fact that my Bible taught me that I can look to Jesus and he is sufficient and his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. And when we sing Jesus paid it all, I can believe it. So that is the first part. But the thing is, um, James says that even the demons believe. We got to be careful with that word believe because even the demons believe. So that's why I think faith is a two-parter. Yes, we believe, and yes, we put our, our confidence and our trust in God's word and in our salvation in Jesus. But the second part of faith is to make sure that we realize that faith has to be turned into an action word. 
And this is where, see, the demons stop at the first part. Yep, they believe. Because James says even the demons believe and they shudder. So, see, they stop at the first half, but the second half is what changes us, and it's equally as important as believing, and that is it's changing my life. The second part means I have to commit to what I believe. And when you start committing to what you believe, that's when you watch your life change. So the two parts of faith is, first, yes, I put out my complete trust and confidence in Jesus. I believe. But the second part is I commit to what I believe. That's what our faith is. And faith has to be an action word. You just can't say it with your mouth. Because the Holy Spirit wants to change your whole life. Because I was writing just some, you know, what do I really have complete confidence and trust in? And I started listing some of the things that he is God and that he sits in heaven on the throne. And he's the blessed controller of all things. And he's Lord of all. And his promises are true. And his will is perfect. And his plan is perfect. And his time is perfect. When I start remembering what I know. Then I start seeing how my faith is bigger and bigger, and then that causes me to want to commit to someone like that. And then I watch this faith start to change me. So this is what faith is. We, we just, we just, it's one of those church words that we think we know, but it is such a monumental word. It's such a foundational word, as you've probably read in Hebrews 11, if you read it a few times, that it's the only thing that really pleases him, our faith in him, our complete trust. So it is very important that we spend time this summer in really getting a hold of what this, what this word means and that we learn how to put it into action. Now, your Bibles are open to Hebrews chapter 11, but as, as many of you know that um, I love the verse-by-verse verse study, and whenever I see a chapter, especially a letter like this, the Hebrews is a letter. We don't really know who wrote it, but it is a letter, and whenever you think about a letter being written, I never like to start a letter in the middle. <laughs> Neither, I mean, there's always a beginning, and, and a letter will build on, on the information or the instruction or the news. You know, a letter starts at the beginning and then just keeps building and building until the end. Well, I'm not going to take you back to Hebrews chapter 1, but I am going to just take you back to chapter 10 just to kind of start us in this. Because when he says, now faith is being sure, I want to make sure that you understand how important, again, how important this word is and how much of, of what we stand on has to do with faith. And so, starting with verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence 
to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. I mean, you can't just read that fast. I mean, can you believe that that is possible? You and I now can get into the most holy place. And where is that, by the way? That's in God's presence. I mean, when, when, we, when we go into his presence, that was just unheard of. There was no way you and I could ever just waltz into his presence. No, we have to, the only way that you and I can go into the most holy places, and there's nothing more holy than in his presence. But look, at it says, because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, and I know you know the story as well as I do, you know, I mean, and what a visual when Jesus died, wasn't it? Wasn't a visual that, that was given in the temple when that big, huge curtain started tearing from the top to the bottom. What a visual for us to see that that was God opening up the way to the most holy place that you and I would have never been able to get to otherwise. But when Jesus died, that opened the way. When his blood was shed, so by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we, have great, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God. So he's saying how you and I, because we can read that fast, and how do you draw near? How, what does it mean to draw near, to come close? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And I think that's what everything that I've said so far, full assurance of faith is I have complete trust and I have complete confidence that God's word is true, that God's promises are true, that he is who he is, that Jesus did what he did, and all is well with my soul. I mean, he, he said, have a sincere heart, know this, have full assurance of faith. Because, see, none of us has actually seen that. We, we didn't see Jesus die. We didn't see him come out of the grave. We didn't see him ascend into heaven. So by faith, by full assurance of faith, we believe that it worked. And so we can draw near to him. That's possible having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, do you know how important it is to have that full assurance of faith, to be able to go into his presence? Don't take it so lightly. Our son Jason, he preached in Kirk Church Sunday um, night, and he had to read the this was so beautiful. I hadn't heard this in a long time. And he had to read the, they're, they're going to have communion next week. So Jason had to read the, the pre-communion. Take a look at yourself this week. You're coming, you're coming to the Lord's table. You're going to partake. In other words, this was such a good thing that, I haven't heard that in a long time, but when Jason was reading that, I thought, that is so important. Take this more seriously. 
make sure that you just, that this assurance of faith, this belief, this trust, this, this opportunity that we have through Jesus, that we take that seriously. And that, that we make sure that our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us with, from our guilty conscience and because we're still sinners and we have our bodies washed with pure water. We constantly need to be cleansed. And we should always be thinking of that when we go into God's presence. Not so flippant. Let us hold unswervingly let us hold on unswervingly. Don't waver. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Don't waver in the hope. What's, what's your hope? Paul talks about hope in Romans where he says that your hope, it will never disappoint you. And hope isn't a wishful kind of thinking hope. The hope is the for sure, and that's what we're going to see in the first verse of the 11th chapter. I want you to take a look at what faith really is. You've got hope, a for sure thing. You have assurance, you have confidence, you have trust. There's no doubt in your mind. Oh, to, to be able to have the kind of faith, that there's no doubt. And so when your life falls apart or when you get disappointed or when things don't go the way you think or when a doctor's diagnosis is not what you wanted it to be or when you lose someone that you didn't want to lose and all the, the things of life, when your faith is where it's supposed to be, you won't waver. You won't just start going in all directions of panic and self-pity and no your faith will keep you on track an unswerving a confident trust into into what they go all go over all the things that you know about him just like i listed that he's god that he's lord that he's on the throne that nothing escapes him that his will is perfect he knows what he's doing his plan for you and i is perfect that's what real faith is. Don't swerve. And you'll find out when you don't swerve, you will find that you stay on track. You find that you stay in a place of confidence and trust. Yeah, it's so sweet to have that. Take him at his word. He doesn't just want us singing the song. He wants us living like that. That when when we're when when we can just feel life starting and our, the ground underneath is starting to shake and we can feel our knees kind of he's saying no don't swerve your faith is going to keep you so let us hold swerve unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And how, what else, what else will, will, your, will, will your faith tell you? Your faith will, will say, oh, that's right. He reminded me that he will never leave me. He won't forsake me through this. He'll walk me through this every step of the way. That's what your faith will do. Your faith will help remind you of the promises that you have a God that's faithful, that does what he says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
And then look, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is, what is the writer of Hebrews encouraging us to do? He's saying, do what we're doing tonight. <laughs> what we're doing tonight is exactly what, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But sometimes you, one, someone might start to swerve, <laughs> and then, but we need each other, and there's someone that say, hey, 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 come on, you know better. Come on, let's go over what we know. Let's let's stop the swerving and let's get more grounded in your faith. What is your complete trust? What is your complete belief? Let's encourage one another because what's coming? <laughs> the day, capital D, the day is coming. The writer of Hebrews is trying to wake us up saying, you know, I know you think it, look, at they wrote this hundreds of years ago. It didn't happen yet, but every day is a day for us. And as that day is approaching, are you watching? Are you ready? Whenever we study Revelation, I always say that those who are ready are excited to study that book. And those who are not ready are nervous to study that book. You can always tell, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? And if you're ready, you're excited. You're saying like John, oh, come quickly. But if you're not ready, then you're saying, oh, I don't know. Let's kind of hold this off a little bit. You can, you, and I can't answer for you. Only you know. Are you excited about Jesus coming? Are you excited about the capital D day? Because it's coming. Are you ready? If we deliberately, and I think a lot of us have learned when we study scripture that we start to, instead of reading so fast, that first word of the 26th verse, every time you see this word, if, if. So whenever you see if, that either means that you have a choice or there's another way. So if, if we deliberately keep on sinning. So to me, that if means I don't have to keep on sinning. But if you want to, that is, there's the choice. If we deliberately keep on sinning, sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth. In other words, and this happens so often, someone hears the story of salvation Maybe you've had that opportunity and that privilege to be able to share your story of Jesus to somebody. And and maybe they didn't buy into it. Maybe they just says, oh, maybe that's good for you, but no thanks. If we deliberate, that, that, this verse is for them. <laughs> that if they deliberately keep on sinning after they heard that word of truth, No sacrifice for his sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Do you realize God didn't make this complicated? I mean, it, all through Old Testament, New Testament, now, it's very simple. 
you obey me and I'll bless you. You disobey me, there's judgment and there's consequences. It's just that simple. And there, there it is right there. Verse 26 and 27, it's right there. You want to keep on sinning? Well, it's that's your choice, your prerogative. If you want to, you've heard about that you're a sinner and that it, there, there isn't a one of us that doesn't need salvation. There's not one of us that stands at Calvary not needing that cross and what took place there. There's not one of us. But if you think that that you can save yourself, if you think you can make yourself right in your own ways, well, yes, go for it. But he said, I just want you to know. There's going to come a day when there is yeah, only going to be fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone, now he goes back to Old Testament days, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died with, without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I mean, it was serious in the Old Testament. You didn't follow the law. You were punished. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace? Oh, man, that, you know, that's something. He says, how much more severely don't you think a man is going to be punished for trampling on the son of God, the message of the gospel, who treated the blood as as um, an unholy thing. And I told this story so many times about this church that is saying, and, and the minister started preaching about um, the fact that this is the first Sunday of Lent. He says, but I just want to reassure you folks, I'm not going to talk about the blood. This whole Lent season, we're not going to talk about the blood. And that just popped into my mind again when I was going through this study over and over. I thought, I couldn't believe my ears. How is this guy, how is this preacher, this minister of supposedly of God's word? <laughs> but I should have seen it. He, he had a Bible, but he just folded it in half, never opened it. Well, you know, that should be a clue that he's going to make up his own rules. But I think about him and when he has this, this opportunity, this responsibility to a thousand people sitting before him, and he treats the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing that he doesn't realize it's the blood that sanctifies. Huh. He's going to pay for that someday. I don't know, for some of you who've never heard that story, I, Tom had put his hand on my knee because he thought I was going to get up. I mean, I just almost did because I can't hardly stand it. But I knew that I had one more song that I was able to sing at the end, and I knew that I'd never be invited back, but that was okay with me. So I got up there, and I didn't plan on singing this song, but I sure did that night, and I sang the blood will never lose its power. So that's what I did. Sometimes you got to do what you have to do. Because you just you just expect these educated religious men to preach God's word. And so obviously the writer of Hebrews says, you know, it's not always going to be the case. So make sure that you never insult the spirit of grace. 
For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This writer of Hebrews, he is pretty much saying, I want you to sit up and take notice, this is serious business. Remember those earlier days after you, re after you had received the light and you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Remember those times that you stood for what was right and you were persecuted. But you know what happens when you're persecuted or when you go through difficult times? I mean, Paul talked about it in Romans when he said rejoice when trials and troubles come your way because you're going to become stronger you're going to persevere more you're going to understand what God's character is more you're going to understand what hope is more and the writer of Hebrews says remember do you remember it was during those hard times that you really grabbed a hold of this in fact I also went to a verse that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 17 16, 17, 18, listen to this, where Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary trouble are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that is such a good verse as we start this whole thing off. Because faith is not seen. Faith is just knowing. Because sometimes it does not. I mean, we would just love to see how it's all going to turn out. We'd just love to pick up the corner. But real faith is just having a complete trust and confidence in him, even when you don't see So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need, to be, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I always kind of look at that verse and say, oh, is he, he says, I'm going to make it worth your while. You just wait. I'm going to, you take this seriously, and you study, and you get to know me, and you get to trust, and you're faith gets bigger and stronger and you live by faith not by sight he's a humble make it worth your while because it is not easy to live by faith it's much easier to live by sight but that's not the way it works but he says I will make it worth your while for in just a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one that's you and me. That's supposed to be you and me. If we've gone to the cross of Christ, if we've come to him as a sinner, and we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, and he now has made us right, he says, my righteous one will live by faith. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, if you want to. No, my righteous one will live by faith. This is what he expects. And if he shrinks back, Okay, wonder if he, you know, that living by faith, it's so hard. And if you start shrinking back, like, no, I would just soon see. I want to know how this is going to turn out. He said, if you shrink back, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed 
but of those who believe and are saved. So see, there's your, you, this is one or the other. Again, it's so simple. I think people have made this Christianity thing so complicated when it isn't. You want to do it God's way or do you want to do it your way? And so he says, now are you going to shrink back or are you going to live by faith? You shrink back and you don't live by faith, you're not going to please the one who died for you and made and by his grace saved you. But if you do live by faith, if you do dare step out and say, I'm going to trust and put my confidence in the one, the one and only God who made salvation possible for me, I am saved. I just assume wake up every boy, every morning knowing I am saved. I'm saved from myself. I'm saved from sin. I'm saved from hell. I'm saved from judgment. That's a great way to live. When you know that, that's waking up every morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. This is my song. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. See, this is what we're going to go now into different examples. He gave plenty of examples of what it looks like. Now, were these people perfect? No, they weren't perfect. But they also showed what it was like and what, what a life looks like when you dare put your trust trust and confidence in the one that you can't see but by faith you believe in by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command by faith because did you see it happen no I didn't either but again I just turned to Genesis 1 because I believe that when Paul said to Timothy every word of this is God breathed and it's the only book you need for teaching and and training and correcting and rebuking and <laughs> so by faith I believe this book is true and it tells me that one day God said let there be and there was by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain okay now we go back into Genesis chapter 4 and you know we we know the story we know the story of of uh, Adam and Eve and their sons Cain and Abel and in chapter 4 of Genesis it says now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, when I study, I, I study out of the NIV study Bible, or NIV Bible, um, and then I keep the King James right next to me. I mean, it's, it's still another version. But I, I just like to go back and forth. And in the King James, it doesn't use the word some. And so... That, to me, even can make it even more confusing if you think, why in the world? I mean, Cain was a farmer, and so he gave some of his, his um, stuff that he grew, and, and, Ab and you know, Abel was a 
shepherd, so he brought his, what he did. You know, I mean, they both were two, they did, had two different occupations. But said, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, it doesn't explain that, does it? No, Abel kept flax, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought, brought fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said, if you, if you kept reading, I know we're talking about Abel's faith, but this is what it looks like when you don't have faith. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you so upset? Why is your face so downcast? If you did what is right, in other words, if you done what I asked you to do. See, this is the thing we don't really know. We don't really know. I mean, th I've heard many things about a blood sacrifice and all this kind of thing. I don't know. It, it just says God must have made it very clear what he expected. And Abel did it. Abel obeyed and Cain didn't. Cain thought he could do slip shots somehow. I know maybe it was just a hard attitude. I don't know what it was. All I know is that God set the standard. God said this is the way it was supposed to be. Abel did it, Cain didn't. And see, this is where the simplicity is. That's why God comes back at Cain and said, why are you so upset? Bottom line is you didn't do what you were told. And so obviously I'm not pleased with you. I'm pleased with Abel. Abel obeyed. See, that's what walking in faith is. You listen because you trust his word. You are obedient to what he says because you believe who he is and you take it seriously. And so, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I mean, if you were done, yeah, I would have accepted you in the same way. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must choose to do what's right. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? We all know that, don't we? We all know that part of the story. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, can't you just hear him? My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will and I will be hidden from your presence, and I will be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And oh, 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 oh. And all the Lord is saying, none of this would even have happened if you would have just listened and walked by faith and trusted me to begin with. 
how many of us are suffering the consequences and blaming God and whining to him, how come this is happening, when, when it's just when he's saying, you know what? You obey me, I will bless. And when you disobey, I'm telling you. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence, from the Lord's presence. See? I don't know about you, but when you read that, did that do anything to you? That is probably one of the saddest sentences in all of scripture. That and when Judas got up and left. They had there, they, they had the opportunity. They had it right there. God gave Cain a chance to say, oh, did I blow it? What does the Lord do? You know, when John the Baptist started preaching, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, it was amazing to me. The first word that they preached, the first word that they preached was repent. That is just the necessary number one requirement, that we have to see ourselves for what we are. Repentance is a must, and when there is no repentance, when there is no confession, we are not going to see the forgiveness and the salvation that he offers. This is just the way he set it up. So, he had such opportunity, but when you heard that, all you heard was, was self-pity. He didn't accept what he had done. So he pays the consequences, and so he went out of the Lord's presence. Okay, now we continue. And I, I never saw this. In all my reading of Genesis, I never saw this before. But it's almost like in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, And Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to his son and, and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child to in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And then in chapter 5, it's like we start to see a new beginning. Did you notice that? Look, it's, it's like, and this is the written account of Adam's line. It's like, it's like chapter 4 didn't even happen. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created a male and female, blessed them, and when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Huh. It, it's, just like, it's just like a new beginning. And after his son was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Adam lived 930 years and then he died. See, the whole Old Testament, if you, if you want to go back and if you ever want to look at the lineage of Jesus, it's just, it is so beautiful to watch how God had a line going. And once, once Abel was killed, because see, what was the difference between Cain and Abel? It wasn't that one had a better job than the other one. 
the bottom line was their heart and whether they chose to believe and put their trust and their confidence in God worthy enough to listen to and obey what he says. And so when Abel was killed, there was no way that our Savior was going to come through the line again when there was no remorse, when there was just, when there was no repentance, no confession. So that's why in chapter 5, it's like you get a whole, you got a whole another beginning. Because now, now we're talking. And so now we see the descendants of Seth. And then we get down to, did you notice for this month when I said, what have you heard about the faith of Abel and Enoch? Did you notice there was just very little written about them? But I think I think that's how he wanted us to start. If you if you really want to live by faith, you don't need fourteen hundred pages. You need it's just simply this: you're going to trust him and believe him. Do you going to believe? Are you going to obey what he says? Are you going to take it seriously and walk with him? I think he purposely had those first two in the list of Hebrews eleven. No big stories. <laughs> No chapters of, of information. No, Abel obeyed God. He did what God told him to do. Enoch. Now we get down to Enoch, and again, not much. Look at verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years. So you know now that Enoch is a descendant of Seth, obviously. So when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, Verse 22, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Now, I don't know if that's just information or whether in, in the way it was written, does that say that when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch Maybe Enoch has a past. Maybe for 65 years he was a rebel. I don't know. Maybe because it just says after, after he had Methuselah, then he walked with God. And and it would be a it would surprise me a bit if that were the case. Because again, just another lesson to say, I, I don't care. Maybe, maybe you got a past. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, I can't possibly walk. By faith, I can't. My, you know, there's no way I could have the, take this that seriously and have this relationship so close and real that Jesus could be walking with me, talking with me. Don't you just love that old hymn? Andy walks with me and he talks. And what does he keep telling you and I? I love that old way the old hymn writer understood Jesus. Jesus keeps telling us what you belong to me. And so I don't know whether Enoch, you know, for 65 years he was a rascal or whatever, but whatever happened after he had Methuselah, it says he, for 300 years, he walked with God. 
and he walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. Now that's all we know about Enoch, and yet, yet, did you, isn't that something that in Hebrews 11, there is his name, bigger than life. The key phrase, what's the key phrase? Enoch walked with God. That's all we have to know about him. And that it's priceless. I went and I, I looked up what it meant. I, I went to Galatians chapter 5 because it's a, Paul is trying to say that when you have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, you walk in step. You walk in step with the Spirit. So the Apostle Paul talks about walking with God. And we just can't read that quick because that is, again, it's, it's very major that you're walking with God because so often what are we walking with? With our own self, with, with the ways of the world, with materialism, with name it. But Enoch walked with God. And that pleased God greatly. And that's all I got for you here because that's all it says. But I think that there's a reason for that because it doesn't have to be complicated. You figure out what it means to walk with God. You figure out, I had to figure out what it meant, how much time it takes, how much self-denial it might take. Choosing different things in my day or time. Walking with God is constant choices. But apparently it's important. Okay, then when Methuselah lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years. And in all, he lived 969 years. And he was the oldest. I mean, he lived the longest ever, 969 years. Anybody want to try that? Oh, man, no thanks. Okay, when, Lam La when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah. And he said, he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And Noah was born. Lamech lived 595 years. He had other sons and daughters altogether. Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. Now Noah was 500 years when he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now I don't know how things multiplied back then. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe because it said after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father. I don't know if he had all three, if they were triplets or what. I don't know. But anyway, these three sons, now, now we've got the story. And as you will see in chapter 6, when men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married in any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is immortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. Did any of you think, oh, I can't wait to see how Linnell's going to explain that one? Oh, no. 
Man, I, st I know, I studied and studied, and you know, I think this is just one of those things. See, I love to look at things just in a simple way, and I, you know, what does that mean when the sons of God married the daughters of men? It, it could be as simple as that the descendants of Seth married the descendants of because remember, you have got two, you know, you've got people, <laughs> different different races now going. You know, because Cain, I'm sure, you know, he had more children and with that kind of environment. Because of sin, evil's running rampant. And then, you know, there's some that think that maybe the Nephilim, those giants that we read about here and then in Numbers and Goliath. and uh, I mean, I've even heard things like um, when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels. And when those evil angels took on the form of man, then when they reproduced, they had freaky giants. I mean, I don't know. But you know, I don't get so worked up about that because what if we spent the rest of our time just talking about something we don't know? All we know is that there was a combination going here that was not supposed to be. And again, disobedience was wreaking sin and evil. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's what happens. Sin is called a slippery slope, and once you get down there, it is hard to come back. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. King James said the Lord was sorry he made man. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. You know, I know that God knew, you know, before he even created man, he knew man would fall. He knew all this. And so, you know, where does these, where does these feelings come from when God knew it was going to happen? But I just think, you know, we sang it tonight. I, I think that through so many of these stories, you just see his grace. And you know where you see his grace? Because, look, all was evil. All have turned away, and it was, oh, he was just, it was such a sad thing. Look at verse 8. But, no. You know, God, oh, there's always one. There's always a remnant. There's always hope. So in the middle of this mess, see, this is the word hope. This is what faith is. That word hope is in the middle of faith. There's always hope. There's always hope with, with God. There's always hope with our Savior. And that's the whole intent of this whole story is to eventually get a Savior that would redeem evil man. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. King James says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Look at there again. Don't you just love it? I hope that excited you. See, this whole thing about walking with God, that, that's, the, that's the kicker here. When you walk with God, when you live by faith, that's what living by faith and walking with God, that's all, that all goes together. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Basically, how did that happen? They just thumbed their nose to God's rules. If you don't mind me being so blunt. Does that sound familiar to today? But when you start seeing this kind of environment, you know the basic bottom line is, again, it's not complicated. They just chose to say, no, I don't want to rule. I don't want to listen. I don't want to do. I want to sit on the throne. And God is saying, but I'm God, you're not. So God said to know I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So, so then he tells them exactly what to make and, and the dimensions and where to put the window and the door and Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten, store it away as food for you and for them. Verse 22. Oh, star it, underline it, do whatever you need because this is it. Noah did everything just as the Lord God commanded him. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and you and your whole family because I found you righteous. Yeah, why was he righteous? Because he listened and he obeyed and he took it seriously. And then look what God does. He saves. Again in verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. From what I understand, it took between 50 and 80 years to build the ark. They were on the ark. Of course, we know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. They were on the ark for according to the way you figured this out, it's 370 days they were on that ark. So verse 13, it said on, every, on that very day, no one his son Shem, Ham, and Japheth together with his, with his wife and the wives of his three sons entered the ark. Verse 17, for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. Verse 21, every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Verse 22, everything everything on land, on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Verse 23, every living thing on the face. Did, did you notice the all-inclusive? Did you notice the word that, you, that was repetitive? Every. 
would say the quicker we learn that God does everything completely, the better. And the fact that what God says, he does. I mean, Noah and his wife and there are three boys and their wives, they witness God doing exactly what he says. But in the meantime, and I, I know this is nothing new because I'm sure you've wondered that too. What caused Noah to do everything that God commanded him when it looked like he was just absolutely out of his mind? You know, when you think of between 50 and 80 years, of what you, are, you know, that's just a simple surmising. But, you know, it took a long time in, in the constant battering of people. Chapter 8, but God remembered Noah. Of course he did. Verse 15, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives and all the animals. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because a man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Did you think about that sacrifice? <laughs> if you put it into today, what sacrifice does he want from you and I? What sacrifice? Because he loved it. Said that he loved it when he smelled the aroma. It said that he, he, he the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. What does he? What does he love? What's our sacrifice? That is a sweet smelling. What does he want from you and I? What, what's the greatest sacrifice we can give? What does Paul say in Romans 12? In view of what he has done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. We don't, we don't need the birds and the, and the sheep and all that. What he wants, the sweet aroma that he can smell is when we say, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to, if someone asks me what my faith is, it is I put complete trust and complete confidence in a God that sits on the throne, that, he, that he's given me 66 books, that every word is true of great news, great instruction, great teaching, great hope, a great future to look forward to. But then he says, I expect you to commit to it so that your life is changed. So that as you look at these men, you look at Abel, you look at Enoch, and you look at Noah tonight. It's not complicated. There's the three men that chose to dare put their confidence and their trust in a God that, I mean, all three of them, you can tell, I mean, it, especially Noah. Come on. 
just didn't make any sense. It, it's not visual. This, but life doesn't make sense. God never said it would. But our greatest aroma that we can offer him is our own selves and when we dare live by faith. So just kind of in the course of this next month, as you go more into these these uh, into scripture and in the Old Testament and these different people. No, they weren't perfect, just like you and I aren't perfect. But oh, may that just be such a desire to take this seriously and to want faith, that we understand what faith is, and we want it to change our life. Let's pray, Father. We thank you so much for the truth of your word and or the examples that you put in to really show us that it's possible. This isn't like Hansel and Gretel and the three bears. These are real people. That your word is filled with examples to show that, that we can walk by faith. We can walk with you in the light of your word. That's how we walk with you, in the light of your word. And Father, like the old song said, may we desire a closer walk with you. And that takes time and work and effort. But you will definitely always make it worth our while. Help us to see this isn't complicated. You just want us to listen and you want us to obey. And you want our time and you want our desire. And your Holy Spirit will take it from there. When you've got a willing vessel, we can expect you to do marvelous miracles through us. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Good. Have a good month, everybody.